able to make the service, it's pleasant that there is another option for them not to miss or somebody wants to go back and go over the message or share it with a friend or let them hear and see what's going on. And also, it's proved to be a tool for people when they're checking out the church to see if it's one that we'd want to come to and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of good uses for it, not to mention the fact that it's being heard in different places and distant places. Proverbs 28 as where we're starting tonight, we're going to be looking at several different passages. Proverbs chapter 28, look if you will in verse 5. It says, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. So we just recently came through that verse reading together in our monthly reading, and of course February's reading, if you didn't get a copy of it, is on the table in the foyer. And uh, that starts tomorrow, but you can make sure you get that, and it's, it'll be enjoyable. But this verse uh, caught my attention, and I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of righteousness, the key to understanding. Righteousness, the key to understanding. Look again at what the Bible says about this. It says, evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. First statement I want to give you is some are evil, and some are righteous. That should be evident. Certainly, that shouldn't be a surprise to people who believe the Bible to be a true book. But we live in a society where that type of thinking has become foreign and even uh, controversial for some people. It's not controversial for people who think sanely about things. Uh, I've noticed there's a reticence, a reluctance, if you will, among some Christian people even, even to say some things are evil. I hear way too often people say, well, that may be okay for them. You know, there's, there's a huge gap between being pharisaical, despising others and assuming that yourself is righteous, being uh, condemning in your approach and your words. There's a huge gap between that and being able to have the biblical way of looking at things and saying some things are evil. And people who choose to engage in that and people who choose that as their way of living are living as evil people. That's funny. Does me saying that make you uncomfortable? If it does, I will promise you whether you're aware of it or not, you're being influenced more by your, your culture than you are by your Bible. Being influenced by your Bible predominantly would not ever let you be feel uncomfortable about a reasonable and scriptural statement like I just made. And it's important to understand there are people that are evil. You know? It's... Uh, there are some people who think they can talk their way out of every situation, that every enemy can be placated by the right verbiage. There's something called reality that dictates something different than that. <laughs> some people want to do wrong. They revel in doing wrong. And if they can persuade you to do wrongly, they most certainly will. They may even count it a badge of honor. Huh. 
my mind just went back. My mind just went back to locker rooms when I was in varsity wrestling. And the talk that the fellas engaged in about girls that they thought were decent and clean girls. And not, not be out of the way at all with the young folks, but what their evil intentions would be specifically for anybody that was seen as decent and clean. That's evil. By the way, that's still out there. <laughs> fellas telling you how much he loves you and the fellas telling you, you know, how much he cares about you and he doesn't have enough decency to treat you like a lady. I hope you're prepared to be thrown away like the used article you will be once he's done with you. It's time somebody says something plain to you about it. That's at all ages. There is evil. And there is righteous. Evil do not understand judgment. That's what the Bible just said. They neither know how to use it nor how to respond to it when it comes to them. Why they continue in their evil. I'm going to give you some Bible illustrations of this condition at its most extreme. It's revealed in the book of Revelation. I'll show you a few there. Look in Revelation chapter 2. And what I'm showing you here is evil human nature, evil people making evil decisions who do not understand judgment. And in this sense, when judgment's coming at them, when God is bringing judgment into their life to turn them, you think about the the love that motivates that. He's bringing something in their life to turn them from a way of destruction. And yet the response to it is one of, they have no knowledge what judgment is. Revelation 2 and verse 21 it says there in verse 20, let me, let me begin verse 20 and put it in context for you. This is the church at Thyatira, one of the seven churches in Asia. And God was talking to each of these churches and telling them the strengths they had and then the problems. And one big problem was a woman that was called Jezebel. This is not Jezebel of the Old Testament. She's, she's called Jezebel. Whether that she was unfortunate enough to have that name, I ran into a young fellow that... Uh, worked over in Circleville, whose his name tag said Lucifer. And I said, is that legit? Is that really your name? He goes, yeah, it is. He goes, I get a lot of interesting reaction to that. And I said, so what's the story behind it? He goes, ah, he says, it had something to do with the religion my dad was into. And uh, I'm telling you what, you haven't got any spiritual discernment or good sense, you name your child Lucifer. Well, you certainly wouldn't have you named your daughter Jezebel. But regardless whether that was her given name or just her disposition was like Jezebel the Old Testament, I'm not sure, but I am sure what the Scripture says here. Look in verse 20. Talking to the church at Thyatira, it says, Notwithstanding, this is Jesus speaking to him. He said, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest. They put up with something like they weren't willing to call it evil because that's not friendly. That's not kind. And that's another wonderful word that's being hijacked by perverts. They use the word to try to get you and I to stand down from saying perversion is perversion. Be kind. No, if keeping your mouth shut that it's perversion for men to be with men and women to be with women 
and for the entire woke agenda to be pushed. If keeping your mouth shut about that is kindness, then count me out of kindness. When my sister had cancer, how unkind of the doctor. He told her something was wrong and it needed fixed. If he was kind, according to today's interpretation, kind, he wouldn't have upset her because it upset her. It affected her. And if he was kind, he just wouldn't have said anything and let her die. And I suppose if we're just kind, we don't mention sin. We don't mention hell. We don't mention that there's judgment. I'm not jumping on that train. It was derailed before it started. So look what it says here. It says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. Well, right there, you know you got problems. To teach, putting up with her doing it, the woman's coming in teaching the congregation, and to seduce my servants to commit fornication. And by the way, not necessarily with her. She's teaching them it's okay, it's acceptable. To commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So what's the big deal with that? Here's what she's teaching them. She's saying, hey, you're under grace. It doesn't matter how you live. You want to eat something that was sacrificed to an idol? That's okay because that's just shallow. And Jesus is deeper than that. And if you weren't shallow, that wouldn't bother you. But God had forbidden them to do that. I was talking, some of our folks were talking about uh, uh, diseases and germs and little microbes and stuff. You know, just small talk. Um, We're (laughs) talking about that. And uh, I said, you know, it's interesting when you have the septicemic, pneumonic, and and, and the uh, uh, plague, the combination of plagues that were classified as the Black Death, the bubonic, septicemic, and pneumonic plagues, as three different things that were hitting. And all that's what was rolled into what was called the Black Death. Um, There was a particular group of people who did not suffer nearly as badly from it as everyone else in Asia and and especially in Europe, which was the dominant thing we have record of what happened there. Nearly a third of the population died during the, the period when that was going on. And you know what that group was? They were Jews. Do you know why they didn't? In fact, they got persecuted some because of it. Because they're observance of Old Testament laws of cleanliness helped protect them from what was going on. The health and the protection things helped them with that. You know why? Because God knew something about viruses and pathogens and how they were spread. Can I tell you something? The Bible calls evil spirits seducing spirits. They are real. And they affect people. And when someone's personal spirit is wounded, the Bible describes it like a wall that's broken down. The wall around the city was was the system of defense around the city. And when someone allows their spirit or their spirit gets wounded, it's like they don't have any protection around them. They're very vulnerable. And I have seen people, it was like something rewrote their entire way their mind works and their memory. Something got in messed with them. So this woman, Jezebel, she was teaching them to commit fornication. It's okay. Hey, it's love. It's love. We live in a society which 
officially recognizes vile affections and calls it love. It's not love. Cannot be classified as such. And so, hey, doesn't matter. You're serious about each other. What is marriage anyway? Just a ceremony, a piece of paper. What really matters? What? That's the way she went about it. And so what happens is, look in verse 21. It says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication. Think how gracious God is to even do that. And she repented not. Judgment's getting ready to drop on her. Behold, I will cast her into a bed and then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation except they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with death. And the churches will know that I am He which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. He says, house clean in time. And what happens is He gave her space. Now remember our text is the, the evil understand not judgment. She is given space to get right and instead, she just goes on. Old Testament example of that is old Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that? When Daniel had to pronounce what that dream was about, and he said, King, <laughs> you are, judgment's getting ready to hit you. Break off thy sin and do right. And he, he begs him to. It's a whole year later before that judgment falls. A man, when it falls, it falls like a brick right on it. Give you a couple other ones. Look in uh, Revelation chapter 9. Talking to you tonight about righteousness is the key to understanding. Revelation chapter 9. The unrighteous understand not judgment. After a third part of men are killed in very horrific fashion in Revelation 9, it's during what is called the tribulation period, which is coming, when there will finally be established after God's people are taken out of, out of this world, there will be established a one-world government, a one-world religion. The beginning part of that will be peaceful coexistence among the nations with the dominant one-world ruler. At the three-and-a-half-year mark of seven years, that facade disappears. Prior to that, those who will not take the mark of the beast, which our world is being amply trained for with their fascination of carving their bodies up and putting marks on them. Some of you said here tonight, have them and you got them, either before you knew better as a Christian or at a time when you're not walking with God. And I say to you what I've said all these years, since I started as a young fellow, a good Christian does not get tattoos. A good Christian may have them. You may have a situation like we have in one of our sister churches. There's a fellow who's gotten saved out of all kinds of nonsense, happy as he can be and serving the Lord. Every part of him almost, Keith, is tattooed. Scary death when you look at him. My brother's starting to serve the Lord, serving as an usher. I bet the offerings are good. <laughs> but you ought to have sense about what you do. No, I'm not going to be quiet. And no, I'm not going to change what I believe is right. Things will land where they land. Go where they go. Because there's only one um, that ultimately 
I as a preacher will answer to. That's God. So I want His Word to be clear. I want you to be loved the way the Lord wants you loved. I want you to be treated respectfully as you deserve as the people of God. And I want you to hear clear truth. Then you, as you, as you accept it, and as you learn it, and as it picks your curiosity, and you get in the Bible for yourself, then God can take your life and do some great things with you. And that's my hope. That's my desire. Look, if you will, what happens after a third of the men have died. Revelation chapter 9. Look in verse 20. It says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils. And the Bible says behind every idol there is a devil. And idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see, hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. In fact, today's living is any indication of what's coming. They justify them and even make them part of acceptable religious practice. Look in Revelation 16. I'm reinforcing by the clear Scripture that proposition I gave to you at the beginning. Some are evil. And by the way, for each of those that will be like a brand plucked out of the burning, aren't you glad for that? I'm glad for that. For each one that is plucked out, they will have to face that reality at some point or they will never see any true change. (laughs) Revelation 16, and after two great judgments during the tribulation, I want you to see what happens and how they respond after these great judgments. Revelation 16, verse 9, and men were scorched with great heat. It's one of the judgments that comes. And blaspheme the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give Him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and that's that world ruler. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. That harkens back to what happened in Egypt at the exodus of the Jews when there was a darkness over the land of Egypt which could be felt. And so they gnawed their tongues for pain. You ever hurt so bad you chewed on your own tongue? Yeah? Verse 11, And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So what happened was they, with these great judgments on them, they understood not judgment, they just cussed it and, and shook their fist at it and said, we're going to go on anyway and just kept going worse and worse and worse into it. You know, at some point, you would hope someone like the servant of Pharaoh said to him, does thou not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? At some point, they say, don't you have, don't you have any sense? Can't you figure out what's going on here? But no, they're, they're hardened in their way. And they go on with that. That's a sober thing, isn't it? What's being played out in all these examples is what is warned about 
way before those events back in the book of Isaiah. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 5. Let me show you the eternal truth that was given in Isaiah 5 that is coming to full fruition by these passages in Revelation and is very active in our nation, in our town, in our people uh, that we live among right now. It's going on. Isaiah chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 20. Woe, that's a pronouncement of judgment and, 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 and uh, uh, troubles coming on something. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore is the anger of the Lord kindled against His people. He has stretched forth His hand against them, His people, and hath smitten them, and the hills did tremble, and their carcasses were torn in the midst of the streets. For all this His anger is not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. That, over 2,700 years ago, that was written. And it is absolutely front page news right now. It's exactly what is being fulfilled. Nothing new about it. Now, I said to you, the sermon tonight is righteousness, the key to understanding. But I gave these things in order that God gave them there. But that the evil did not understand righteousness. Now, the righteous understand not just righteousness. Look at the verse again if, you haven't, if you've not moved away from, from it there in Proverbs 28. If you, if you have, just listen. I'll read it again. Evil men understand not judgment. And I said to you, they don't know how to use it and they don't know how to respond to it. But they that seek the Lord, and I love that. It isn't a certain accomplishment of location. It's the direction you've chosen in life. It's what you're trying for. It's, it's, it's the direction you're going. I absolutely love the way that's phrased. But they that seek the Lord understand all things, not just judgment. And so what happens, righteous understand not just judgment and all things. And let me give you some things they understand through the Scripture, and it'll be encouragement to you tonight. First of all, the righteous understand blessing. They look at blessing the right way. You know, the evil even tangled that up, but the righteous learn what blessing's about. I'll give you this passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 16. If you can get back there quickly, probably as fast as I can. I'm not real fast at going to the verses. I'm happy when I get there, but it takes me a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 16. This was such a neat little passage. 16 and verse 16 is the first part. Here's something that was specifically given to the chosen people, the Jewish people. 
This is not something we do today because this part of the law has been fulfilled. But in it, it still was written for our learning and there's something in here to take away from to understand with it. There's a precept in here you'll get. Look in verse 16. Three times a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. In the feast of unleavened bread and in the feast of weeks and in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. That doesn't mean they eat lunch before they come. They're supposed to bring an offering to the Lord. Alright? Verse 17, Every man, now watch this about the righteous understanding blessing. Every man shall give as he is able, look at this, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which He hath given thee. And he's saying... They're going to give because God's given to them. And the righteous understand what a blessing is. As a person starts to think righteously, and you think about the base word of the word righteous being right, and we get our right thinking as our mind is transformed by the truth of the Bible, and as we start thinking rightly about things, a person will... Start to think this way. They, they, uh, extra monies come in. They receive a, a uh, raise or, or something like that. And, and uh, uh, you know, some kind of benefit comes in. And their approach to it is not, oh, I can just immediately, I can get this new thing. I can do this or that. But they step back. They take a moment. They take a few moments and they say, Lord, well, this is a blessing. What do you want me to do with this? And above and beyond the tithe, which is obviously the Lord's, they say, Lord, is there somebody, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to be useful? God, what do you have with this? See, that's right thinking. And that's not necessarily naturally the first type of thinking we'd have. But as the Bible teaches us, we start growing in the likeness of the Lord. We start thinking this way about things. So the blessing, we understand that being blessed allows us to give and to be blessed. I like that. <laughs> um, I'm not going to turn, turn. well, let's turn to this one. I'm not going to turn you to all these. Revelation chapter 5. I, I got all happy hunting verses down and I could turn you till your fingers fall off tonight. There's some good stuff in there. But let's, uh, let's just go to this one. Revelation 5. And we get a glimpse into glory and things that are going on in, in heaven in Revelation 5 verse 12. The voice of the many angels, the elders, the 10,000 times 10,000 around the throne of God. And verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. And look at the last word in that verse, and blessing. And all the other creatures, everyone, heaven and earth, amen that. What is it? I, I put this down with it. Uh, the righteous understand that uh, blessing, we should seek to be a blessing to God. I mean it when I pray here in the service and at other times that I want the Lord to be pleased with what goes on in our services here. I want every class that's taught to lift up Christ. As I know our teachers want the same thing. I want the Bible to be made clear. I want it that those who come in would have a more exalted view of Jesus Christ. That if they come in without the knowledge of the Savior, that they would feel the full effect of their sin on their life. That they would know they need Him. 
so they could come in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him. I have a desire for that. I want God to be pleased with the music. As long as my brain stays right, my backbone stays strong, I stay right with God, you're not going to see the day when this turns into a rock and roll show here. And you don't want that either. This congregation doesn't want that. I used to say in my early days, you say a lot of things in your early days, where you're glad we changed mediums and nobody has cassettes anymore. I'm happy about that when I think about some of my early preaching. But used to say at times, I tell you what, if the church, if you all lost your minds and wanted to, wanted to go that direction, you'd have to go without me. And I got to think about that. And I thought, no. These hands have helped build everything here. No, you do something different. I'm staying here. I work for this. But it's like, we're going, we're going to do something for the Lord. Jesus needs to be pleased with what's going on. Christ needs to be pleased. That's why it's a big deal whether or not you participate. Whether or not you sing out to, oh, you always sing the heathen songs. Why won't you sing the songs of God? He wants to hear you. He gave you that. He said, I don't have a good voice. He's got some kind of filter and glory. I don't know what it is. But he likes to, he likes to hear us sing. Even if we don't, we don't do it in a way that's pleasing to man, we can do it in a way that's sincere towards the Lord with that. And so what happens is uh, God, God's blessed with it. And that's part of blessing. Um, also, do you know the word, the very phrase, bless the Lord, that, just that particular phrase shows up 19 times in Scripture? Bless the Lord. And it's, it's scriptural. It's appropriate for us to want to be blessed by the Lord. That's appropriate. Everything about that's appropriate. If we're on good obedience ground, hey, we're going to be, I'm going to be blessed to the Lord. I believe you would too. That's, that's awesome. But do you know the Bible talks a lot about us blessing the Lord? Let's be a blessing to our Savior. He's certainly been a blessing to us. Shows up, and there's a lot of times it shows up with forms similar to that. We're blessing God, a blessing to God. But that very phrase, bless the Lord, shows up 19 times. That's a lot. I'm telling you, it's pretty awesome with that. Then Jesus took the, took the understanding of blessing even higher. And I just had to stop, fellas, when I was... When I was putting together the message, I stopped and thought about this for a while because this one, I got to think about this. This gets you. Jesus took this thing of blessing even further and He taught us to bless them that curse us and bless those who persecute us. I think any of us that are honest in the room would readily recognize that's not something we're going to accomplish in our own strength and our own flesh. We've got to have the Lord on that. And we can we, 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 we represent Him well if we will do these things. Then, the righteous understand trials. They understand trials. James chapter 1. Join me there, please. James chapter 1. I'll make some references to some other things, but let's look at this together. This book begins with a great salutation and immediately gets to the meat of the matter when it comes to trials. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all... What's the word? Joy. When you fall into diverse temptations. All sorts of different types. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There's nothing you're going to be lacking that God wants you to have. 
with that. That's, that's a rich promise. That's personal. That's precious with that. And I, I got to thinking about that, Brother Matt, and I was looking at that thing, and I thought, man, that, that deserves further inspection. Let me give you this reference. I'm not going to turn you to this one. Write down 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. When you read that later, when you look at that, it'll be familiar to a good number of you because that's the Macedonian churches. They were in a great trial of affliction. They, they, they were having a tough time. They had the kind of afflictions that Brother West is getting ready to have because he doesn't know I'm coming. And he's asleep. This should be... I <laughs> You thought an angel would come to visit, didn't you? You felt something coming towards you. You just not willing to identify what that night before it was. Uh, you came up too fast. I was getting ready to have fun. But yeah, that's a good time. Uh, if he gets to sleep, I get to have a good time. All right? So we're going to have fun with that. But, the, uh, <laughs> but what happens is when, when these churches, these Macedonian churches, they had afflictions, they had troubles, they had things going on that were real things. Huh? That had come into their life, not by any malfeasance of their own, not by any neglect of their own, but apparently the economy of the area was was seemed to be tanked, and you know all the different things were going on. And yet, these were people who had developed a profound love for the Lord and a profound heart to to do things for the Lord and do what they could and just stay simple, stay stay close to God. Why? Because. Uh, the righteous understand why trials come. See, where that evil just curses it. Oh, tell you what, all this luck, and oh, tell you what, oh, that always happens to me. I cringe. I cringe when I hear believers say, oh, that's what I expect. Maybe you haven't really thought through what you're saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to think of it that way. What kind of indictment is that towards our Heavenly Father? If you truthfully say you're having troubles, well, you're having troubles. That's, there's nothing weak about that. There's nothing wrong about that. Um, maybe you're like me. I, I get a little strange interest out of the weird that's indigenous to my life. I have things happen in odd ways. But it's amazing how often God puts a blessing on those strange things or gives me opportunities. We, we as God's people should know how to handle trials. Now, we may fail at first. You know, it's a learned thing. And we, we may not pass that first test. But good night. If we just keep following the Lord, keep learning, keep growing, there ought to be at a point in time where we start passing some of these tests and growing. We ought not be satisfied to be baby Christians forever. We ought to be in His Word. We ought to be growing in the Lord. So the example of these Macedonian churches. I think about these things. Then let me show you these couple of things. They're both in the book of 1 Peter. So let's go there. I most recently had you there in, in uh, James. 1 Peter chapter 1 would be the first one. Talking about the righteous understand all things. Righteousness is the key to understanding. Otherwise you don't know why trials are coming. And you may, not, you may not understand the origin or everything like that. You don't have to see it with crystal clarity. What we, what we have to see is how to respond properly. 
and how to trust our God in the midst of it. First Peter chapter one, look in verse six. And talks earlier about us being kept by the power of God unto salvation, which is awesome. And then look in verse 6. It says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, rejoice in God keeping us, rejoice in that power of God. If need be, though now for a season, excuse me, though now for a season, if need be, if, if God sees it's necessary for whatever reason, though now for a season you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And you understand the word temptation is not just an allurement to do evil. It's, it's something that, that could be a weight or a hindrance to you as you serve the Lord. Something that comes in the line of a struggle or a trial. And so, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, what's on trial when you're being pressured? So I guess it's me. I guess it's not your faith it's it's important to understand and identify what's actually on trial that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of jesus christ look at this whom having not seen not seen jesus you love and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with what? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we sing the song, joy unspeakable and full of glory. We try to sing it better on key than that, but we have that song, don't we? You know the verse that's not in that song? Because I'm going through all kinds of trials, all kinds of trials. <laughs> I have, because that's what leads into that. <laughs> the missing verse. First right, Peter chapter 4. I have found a pain that is so real that it's confusing me. That could be the first verse, what do you think? And uh, <laughs> I'll make up a whole song for it. So now my mind's composing while hopefully my speech is not decomposing. Okay, First Peter 4. Look in verse 12. Heard this as a very, very young Christian and it just grabbed a hold of me. I cannot remember his name. Well, I think maybe you'd remember the fellow who started the church over in Camden. It wasn't, it wasn't Curtis Hutchinson, or, um, Cliff Hutchinson. He, he would come there in Camden. He was there, brother. Uh, can't call his name for anything. Anyway, if it comes back to me, I'll tell you, you don't know him anyway. But a uh, distinguished older gentleman. And he read these verses and preached on them. I mean, I had not been saved very long at all when I first served these. And this just grabbed a hold of me. I thought, my goodness, that's amazing. I'm sitting there as a teenager. I'm thinking, God just tells you up front what you're ready to be expecting. And that's awesome. Because then you're not taken off guard. And this, is, this has been a stalwart thing for me ever since. I'm not telling you I've always been stalwart in. I'm saying this truth has been a bulwark. It's been something strong undergirding for me. Verse 12, it says, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That has just served me through, through following God more than I can even explain to you. That's not weird. Every now and then my wife will say, isn't that weird? And I'll say, no. It's what you would expect with those particular circumstances. Is it messed up? Yes. Is it wrong? Yes. Weird? No. That's where you get if you go there. So that's not weird. 
And so it says, don't think it's strange concerning fiery trial, which is try you. Some people just lose it. Well, I can't believe this happened to me. I'm a child of God. You, do, you, do, you, do you have a Bible? Do you read it? I know I sound like Porky Pig up here, but do you read it? Look at verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, which by the way, all his sufferings were on behalf of other people. Jesus did not need the cross or the resurrection. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. Somebody makes fun of you because you're a believer. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. In other words, you're not supposed to be doing this nonsense. Or as a thief. Or as an evildoer. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. And that didn't change with the advent of social medias. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come, the judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. There's a whole lot we could say about that. And then let me wind things up here tonight by saying to you, not only do the righteous understand the key to, the key to understanding is, is righteousness, but let me say to you, they understand trial, but they understand adversity. They understand that behind every great door and effectual that opens, there's adversity. It's waiting right there. It's part of what goes on. It's kind of amazing. And uh, sometimes people turn back at the first adversity. No, continue on in the, in the will of God. Then they don't understand, or the, the, the ungodly don't understand, but the righteous do understand chastisement. That's when God, God has to take us and God has to chastise us. Punish us, discipline us. The Bible says, and you can look this up later in Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 11, that's a great passage dealing with it. Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. It identifies us as children of God. The Bible says if we don't have chastisement, if there's nothing in our life where God ever has to correct us, then it's evidence we don't belong to Him. At all. Let me ask you something, Solomon. You're, you're older than our boys, but not completely out of the league beyond. You're older. Did Mrs. Manning never paddle you? No? He should. I knew something was missing. I mean, if you believe there may have been a time when his mama she might have done that with my two boys, that they might have been on the wrong end of the whooping stick. Very believe it. By the way, thank God I didn't marry a wife who didn't know what to do unless I was there. I mean, she needed reinforcements. And sometimes, you know, she'd be about bug, about bug eyed from them. Boys, man, what's the matter with y'all? You know what? Your boys about crazy. You know that? You know that. You don't know that? You do, trust me. In fact, you don't know it proves how deep it is. 
And then you just go ahead and grow and be men. And then you got a lot more opportunities to be crazy. Isn't it something? <laughs> well, it's not something. It's something. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I love these fellas. But listen to me. What? She wasn't our kid. We called her kiddo. She's one that came up from the generations that got called kiddo around there. Um, but she was that. I don't think I ever whooped you, did I, Caleb? I don't think so. And you're right, twixt and, and the same age as my, my kiddos. You were at our house a lot. Sometimes people thought you were part of our family. I never did, did I? i got to fix that problem. Uh, <laughs> how many paid to see that? Yeah. Thanks. He'll probably maul me out in the hallway after that. You want to see him? Coming towards 60-year-old preacher get beat up. But watch. The God says that you belong to Him. See, we understand that. When God, when God deals with the ungodly and He deals with the, the wicked, they, and He tries to bring them back to the way that's right, He will, he will draw them he will show them. He will call out to them. He just came through the book of Proverbs where wisdom was calling out even to the foolish, trying to make her voice heard. And then he'll bring things to stop them, things to say, hey, it hurts to do wrong. That's the basis of punishment. It hurts to do wrong. Come the right way because you're heading for complete destruction. And they just blow past it. Whereas the righteous say, and God's trying to get my attention. And by the way, you let each other figure out whether or not God's dealing with each individual. I'll tell you where you don't want to get in life. When you sit there as judge and jury, figuring out, all right, God's trying to teach them something. Literally, I can tell you this scripturally, you will make God very angry at your behavior. Just do that. So much so that it's built into our nature. Pick on you two here. How's it going in your household if you're correcting one of the children and one of the other ones want to jump in and take over for it? Does that make mom and dad be either happy about that? That doesn't fly so good. Does the one who jumped in end up in as much trouble as the other one? Look, man, if you're concerned for your sibling because mama bear's cranked up, just remember, you've got a life to live. Don't get in the middle of that, all right? <laughs> We recognize the chastisement is a sign of God's love, and the Bible says it's not. It's no chastisement. It's not. It's not pleasurable for the season. It's not the correction is not pleasurable for the season. It's not. It's not enjoyable at that time. But afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It works good in our life, and righteous can understand that and understand. It's also a chance to learn about what we need to do. And then finally, let me say to you. Judgment. The righteous understand judgment. They understand exercising godly judgment. They don't fall for this nonsense of, well, you just don't judge anything. No, exercise judgment. There's a difference between exercising godly judgment and judging in the way that Jesus told us not to. And I've preached a whole message on that. The difference between judgment and judging. Exercising godly judgment is dis, it's the words discernment. It's these words in the Bible that tell us we can look at something and say this is right, this is wrong based on what the Scripture says. I will go along with this. I won't go along. That's judgment. Judging is I tell you what. You do. That's completely different. And that second one's why God said don't you get into that because God's a judge, not us. May He help us to have good wisdom and, and balance on that. And then 
having a godly fear of God's judgment. It is a final benediction of doom upon a society to say they have no fear of God before their eyes. No fear. In fact, there's judgments on societies that got to a point where they couldn't even blush. They're not embarrassed by anything. You know what fiance used to mean? It used to mean a guy and a gal had promised themselves to each other, would not be dating, go around with anybody else, and that they were keeping themselves only for each other after they were married. Do you know what that word, that's another word that's been horribly stolen and twisted in our time. Now somebody says fiancé, you know what they mean? This is the person I moved in with, I'm fornicating with, and I have no intention of marrying. Oh no, they're going to someday. Yeah, they're going to, that's right, isn't it? Oh yeah, someday. When you get married, that's your fiancé when you get married. Well, well, we're not. that's what it means. It's not your fiancé. I shouldn't even have been, that wouldn't even been a, Brother Keith, that wouldn't even been a blink to think about what I just said. In your lifetime. That'd be as old as me. I go along, yeah. Here's my girlfriend, here's our three children. Hey, if they can't afford an apartment, so I'm moving in with her, she's moving in with me. Sin is still sin. Right is still right, and wrong is still wrong. God's people need to be afraid of judgment. I don't want to be associated with it. And then, when it comes to judgment and righteous understanding all things, they understand repentance is the response to judgment. Getting right, not getting angry and defensive because we've been corrected. And I recognize that God has brought me up short on something and maybe God's even sent a form of judgment chastisement, whatever into my life, to own up to it, to say, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. As long as your heart swelled up with pride, you won't do that. Long, if my heart swelled up with pride, I won't do that. As long as our ways are right in our own eyes, we won't do that. But the righteous say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, what am I doing here? Man, look at it. God's got something a lot better for us. Do you know why it wasn't that long ago? Here was the language you would hear in preaching. You'd go to preach, you'd go to do that, and people would say, Come on, preacher, step on my toes. That was common language. Meaning by that, get on it, name it. And not like that elderly woman that the preacher talked about was at the back door and uh, preacher preached gotten flesh. You know, he started naming things out where he knew he was specifically going after people. And the first guy he was going after came by and said, uh, and said, I'll tell you what, I, I'm, I'm never coming here again. And he took off. Another guy came, I'm, I'm, never, I'm, never, I'm never coming again. A couple guys he never even thought of. And along comes this older woman that had been the, uh, trouble, troublesome in the church. The guy built the sermon towards her, which is always a dumb thing to do. And she came out smiling. And she looked at him and she said, Preacher, I'm sure glad you let him have it this morning. 
<laughs> think you missed the message. I'm talking it was genuine. People wouldn't stay in the church where the preacher didn't sometimes get on it and get after it and they didn't find it. Then here was, here was the word. Hey, I want to know what I'm doing wrong so I can get it right. I want to know what I'm, I'm supposed to be like. Step on my toes, preacher. And now it's going to get near me. It's my personal space. <laughs> You're in my personal space. You're in my comfort zone. God help us, man. The response, the godly response, is say, God, I needed that. I need help. You know what? You walk with God, I promise you something. If you'll walk with God, you'll have some of those times on your own and it won't all come from a pulpit. It'll come from you're in the Word of God and all of a sudden you see something and you're like, oh my goodness, Lord. Sounds like I need to get something right here. And maybe only you and Him ever know about that time you have together. But your heart will turn towards Him and say, Father, thank You for showing me. Yep. Now God, help me. I'm going to, I'm going to take my responsibility in it. But Lord, by the, it's evident by the fact I've already failed in this area that I have to have Your help. So I'm not saying I'm not going to do what I should do. But God, since I've already failed at it, we both know something. I need Your help. Because what I have proven is I can fail here. And you know what God wants to prove in your life? He wants to prove that He can be victorious through you in that area. Let me leave you on that. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your people. Thank You for the Word of God and the clarity of it, the strength of it. Thank You for being our Savior. Help us, Lord. Oh, God, help us. Help me to have a heart that's right towards You and a spirit that's right towards You. Thank You for the unspeakable privilege of opening the Word of God and teaching Your people. Help us, Lord, to love You and love Your book. God, I pray that you will. I pray you'll restore again and some folks will let you restore again that part of them that loved you and was excited about you and your truth, that cared about souls and cared about the work of God and it mattered to them. And church was a joy and they, they loved the things of God. Lord, may they have a longing hunger for that in their lives again. And I pray you'll bless, please, this invitation time. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Something you need to bring before the Lord, won't you come tonight, if you will?